honest with you, uh, I hate grade cricket. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. On today's show, England win their ODI series against Ireland with 10 other blokes that aren't nearly as interesting as Johnny Bairstow as the rarest of rare units goes past 3,000 ODI runs and scores a 21-ball 50. We're dissecting the new Step 4 restrictions to club cricketers in the UK that include wearing whites to games and no warm-ups. The IPL has a start and finish date in the UAE and the BCCI want to kill the WBBL. Matthew Hayden is on the show to talk about sledging styles of Australian cricketers in the 90s and 2000s. His three against Zimbabwe and Shawab. Stephen Finn is on the show to discuss being welcomed by the locals when having dinner in Australia, having a law named after you, bloodlust, and how to get rid of Broad and Anderson. Hashtag AskTJC is about TJC versus tailenders, getting outfit by 2020 and love in North Yorkshire. This is all thanks to Budgie Smuggler, budgiesmuggleruk.com and Wisdom Cricket Monthly, who are offering a good little deal. In fact, two good little deals to our listeners, which we'll speak about a little bit later on. My name is Ian Higgins and I'm joined by Sam Perry. Pez, Pezzy. <laughs> Hezzy lad? Indeed. Hezzy yeah. lad? Yeah. How are you, mate? Very well, thanks. Yeah, very well, considering that uh, our state, Victoria, yeah. uh, we're both kind of imports to Victoria. Sure. But we do live here now um, for tax yeah. purposes, residential purposes. We're coming purposes, here, we steal the Victorians' jobs, yeah. we're in a state sleep of, with our women. We're in a state of disaster. Yeah. Yeah. We're in a state of disaster, but here we are casting. Just like most what, of my cricket career. Oh, very good. <laughs> with women. Um, mate, a couple of weeks ago, we, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about – um, best excuses yep. um, for missing games of cricket. And uh, a good one came in from Graham Rummins, um, who, as he stated that, is um, – in fact, it was Greg Rummins. It wasn't Graham Rummins right. uh, who pointed that. But he said, read best excuses missing grade games. 1993-94, playing Sydney Test cricket for St. George. My best mate Simo won a date with Elmick Furson via News Limited promo. His mum entered for him. Missed the game, dropped, never recovered. Mm. Captain didn't believe him. 18 years old. You can't knock that back. Roughly two years later, I was playing with said captain and he brought it up as the worst excuse ever used. Filled him in how it was actually a true story and El brushed him on the day after five minutes. Still a lucky prick. Love your work. Uh, that's, that's a fair reason missing game of cricket. That with El McPherson? Yeah. Regards Rummer, not the Graham Rummins, but Greg yes. Rummins, who also Greg. played at St. George right. at that era yes. um, for the niche southern Sydney listeners. Uh, yeah. It's, that's a pretty good reason to miss cricket. Mm-hmm. Um I was just thinking about El McPherson. You ever do that? Would I do that? <laughs> no, did, did you ever? Oh, I didn't miss cricket to go on a five-minute date with El McPherson. Uh, I, I, I was thinking about El McPherson. Like her Were nick, you? her nick. Yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. Her nickname was and still is the body. I was <laughs> <laughs> just thinking, like That's as far so as nicknames, good. yeah, like you, like yeah. you, you'd agree that we have a thin line here on the grade cricketer between uh, praise and objectification and we walk yeah. up with a plomb. But yeah. uh, like if you're in the business of supermodeling, yes. as El McPherson was, yes. uh, like can there be a more laudable nickname than The Body? That is laudable. Like it's the greatest nickname you could possibly have. Like I'm trying to extrapolate that to other areas of life. Like uh-huh. if you're a batter, like you'll just be called The Runs. <laughs> or like uh, if you're a doctor, The Health. They call him The Health. And yeah. so on. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but yeah. I was thinking about excuses for missing game. I know we we talked about it a few weeks ago. We we're talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. Uh, some guy in the eighteen eighties who got who got kidnapped uh, yeah. by W. G. Grace. Billy, Billy Midwinter. Billy Midwinter, as Joffrey called him, Billy Midwater. Midwater. Yeah. In your now birthday message, that was a real <laughs> thing that I put in last week. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we we didn't talk about that at all, but yeah, 
I went onto the um, application Cameo, which many people know about. There's celebrities on there and you can pay some money and they send you a birthday message. And mm-hmm. so I was just, it was Pez's birth, Pezzy's birthday coming up. Um, and uh, so I just jumped online and Joffre was on there. Yep. Um, and so I just sent a little message and he... He, he yeah. did his thing, but he he missed missed uh, mispronounced Billy Midwinter. Was that when he was in quarantine? Oh, it must have been, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was at the okay. team hotel. Tom Wilson sending yeah. you a birthday message. Uh, so I was trying to think of another like that was three grand well spent from me. <laughs> I did, never wanted to ask what you paid for that <laughs> joke, but I've, I was very appreciative. Worth it. Worth it. I played a game uh, like in in sort of like oh six oh seven. Uh, and this is relevant. Like I just joined the first grade side at Norths, right? So I was I was nobody, low on the mm-hmm. low on the rung. Play first grade, you mean? Yeah. Well, no, this is relevant. <laughs> it's relevant. So like I played with a guy who wasn't just late to a game. It's against your club, actually. Uh-huh. You weren't, you weren't at and that it was level. my club. You weren't at that level, but yeah, um, <laughs> at the time, actually, ever. Um, yeah. No, nah, come on. Uh, he wasn't just. It wasn't just. <laughs> I'm talking, talking to myself. To, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking to myself. The Jiminy yeah. Cricket on my shoulder. Yeah, there we go. Uh, he, he, he just he just didn't lob like for first. No he lob. just didn't lob. No lob. Lobless. And uh, like no excuse for it. Like he was a dashing opening batsman. Mm, the dasher. Uh, stop it. Uh, but he was like the least grade cricket character possible. Yeah. Like he was um, yeah. he was in, he was like grungy. He like he skated. He had like um, oh, right, okay. fine tastes in music. Alternative. Things like this. In 05, yeah. 06, 07, that wasn't what you did. That's not what you did. Uh, and he's, he's just like uh, people in the ma- like people in the team just didn't get him. And like he uh, – he had a massive night. He's just gone, fuck it. I'm not coming. He just didn't come to the game. And uh, no like, I should have seen the writing on the wall because the week before I'd noticed there'd been an incident with him and his um, opening partner. Yeah. Couldn't get two more polar opposite guys. So there's this guy, I won't say his name, but like yeah. he's the grungy guy, skates, not into cricket that yeah. much, but yeah. could hit a long ball. Yeah. And then his other guy was like um, a private school elite, you know, went to a like, you know, uh, uh, like a, like a elite school in North Shore of Sydney, yeah. sort of inherited a bit of family wealth, um, okay. well-to-do yeah. guy, a bit of a real estate magnate. Sure. Um, oh, well, I know, ended I up, be- ended up becoming one. <laughs> yeah. And basically there was this thing at lunchtime where like, we, you know, this is in England, like you still bring your own lunch, first grade and stuff like that, but you still bring your own lunch. And like yeah. everyone's got good lunch. Some guys even have parents who are still bringing stuff because yeah, they've yeah, never yeah. grown up because they're, yeah. you know, children's body. Yep. Uh, and, but this guy, the, the grungy guy, has mm-hmm. brought a Tupperware container with um, two sausages in it, <laughs> just two sausages, cold, wrinkly, look grilled. And like his opening partner just couldn't get over it. Like he he found it the funniest thing he'd ever seen. This is in his the life. incident. Yeah, this is the incident. Okay. And I think he made he really made a big deal of it. Probably bullied him yeah. about it. But he could, like he was crying with laughter at the depravity of it. Yeah, I think. And then yeah, the following <laughs> week depravity. Yeah, it was just so, so there's no no garnish with it. No nothing. sauce. He just had two it was literally like he he. And I'd seen his house later on. Like he was a share living in a share house. It yeah. was it was a it was an absolute bomb. Yeah. Um, that was fine. Each to their own. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't saying much. Like um few weeks before like my parents had just divorced and stuff living with my dad he's just sent me out to a pg's game with a boiled egg you know so like he was learning <laughs> just doing his best yeah but uh yeah like uh i think he this guy got bullied out of out of the club kind of thing because his his opening partner had been crying with laughter about right. his two wrinkled sausages and just yeah. didn't turn up next week so Fuck, that is that's so a good, good reason to miss now that you say that there was a there was one at uh, yeah my club was a fifth grade game mm. um i wasn't playing but I was in a higher grade. Um, <laughs> just be clear. Yeah, just <laughs> it's the grade yeah. I was in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a fifth grade game, and it was um, it was it was out of Hawkesbury. So the first, one of the, one of the grounds we we always talk about Hawkesbury. It was like the furthest possible place you could travel from yeah. my club to. Anyway, this guy was uh, he was in the navy or the army. He was a military guy, navy, massive unit, great yeah. head of hair. Nice. But he had a little, had a bit about him. Okay. Had a bit about him, you know. As guys in the military might. Yeah. With respect. Absolutely. Probably saw some stuff and. Uh, I'm not sure if he'd say his name, but 
Um, he drove to the game, yeah. got to the car park at Benson's Lane and then turned around. He drove there and he just didn't fancy it. He got there, he got there and he I turned around. I think there's around. a lot of cricketers out there who see Benson's Lane who <laughs> not for me. kind of understand yeah. that. Not for me today, yeah. Just turned up, just saw the big fields, the big flies. Which one do I go to? lack of trees. Yeah. Maybe a couple of bomber planes flying over because there is a military field the near Richmond, there. The Richmond yeah, airfield's the right there. Yeah, yeah. Base, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Something happened. Actually, sometimes you play there was loud as fuck. Mm. Actually, when I played in the UK uh, in Surrey, the wow, what's the no, what's the name of the airfield? There's an airfield right near Camberley's, like the the ground that's that the club I played against. There's, an, there's a military airfield right there, and it, when the planes are going, it's loud as fucking anything. You know, there's like really windy days when you're in the boundary. You spoke about this in the past, and you just can't hear anything. Yeah. Like all your senses are yeah. fucked up because it's just winds going yeah. through your hair, going through years and stuff. And it's one like, of the funniest things about like you're chasing a ball, uh, or like you're running between wickets, and like guys from the pavilion are calling out one or two, yeah. and like you can't hear anything because it's yeah. just the rush of the wind in your ears. But yeah. you're getting a lot of instructions or bowler keeper yeah. can't hear a thing. Yeah. I don't know if it, maybe that's just me. Yeah. Anyway, Bearstow batted well. Yeah, can, can tell lots happening in the cricket world this week. This meandering <laughs> yeah, start. England versus Ireland. Yeah, where military meets club cricket. <laughs> well, I mean, so England have won the series 2-0 um, against Ireland. And a good series win. It's, a, it's an important series win for them. But, uh, yeah, I said in the intro there, 10 blokes that aren't inter- as interesting as Johnny Bearstow. Um, that first game, like Billings scored some runs. He's an, he's an interesting guy, Billings, actually. I want to talk about Billings. Okay, let's talk about Billings to start with then. Because he scored runs a couple of times. That, that's that second ODI. It was a little bit in the mix there when yeah. Morgan got out first ball and they were, they were, they were six down, yeah. about 50 to win. Islands had a little bit of a sniff yeah. and then Billings and Willie just like, no, nah, we'll just win the game now. But yeah, Billings, interesting one because he's like been in every squad for the last like five they years and hardly gets a game. They but he's 29. Him. Yeah, saw that. Well, yeah. First thing to say about the England's ODI unit, which is now separate from the test side, they are like, it is just the most, we've said this before, but it is the most anti-English stereotype possible. Like their muscle, their fast twitch, mm-hmm. their shirts are out, they're mm-hmm. athletic. Yeah. And their second side that, you know, don't have the key throbbers of Stokes and Archer, yeah. throbbers borrowed from Hello Sport there, which you should listen to. Mm-hmm. Stokes and Archer aren't in that side, but still they look so, they're, they're so fast twitch. Mm-hmm. And, Billings, I can see why they want him so much. I mean, look at him. I yeah, mean, he fits in. he's attractive. Yeah. He's an attractive man. England cricket team for a while have been the best looking team going around on the circuit. Agreed. Agreed wholeheartedly. Mm. Uh, so, like, I don't want to, you know, we we're objectifying before talking about El McPherson being the body. Like, mm. uh, England has the greatest one day side of all time, but, like, how is Billings not? <laughs> Do they in the show of that? Some would say. Uh, the best of all time. Well, I mean, you could put an argument forward. Well, uh, well, on that, Validly. I just think like ODI we cricket has accelerated so quickly. Mm. Like going back to Bairstow, who scored 3,000 runs. He's like, the, he's like the fifth quickest of all time to do that, right? But is Bairstow the fifth best ODI yeah. player of all time? No, he's not. The, game, the game's changed. I suppose you'd have to say, does that mean New Zealand are the equal best ODI side of all time? <laughs> well, technical, are technical, they better? Yeah, I don't know. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, you've got, like, Billings, attractive bloke, you know, marketable. Yeah. He reverse sweeps for fun. Like, that's his go-to shot, yep. and he plays it with great effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah, Again, yeah, yeah. blonde hair, mm. the, 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 the muscles, you mm. know. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Da- David Willey yeah. took five in the second game. Salad. Salad. Uh, you know, 
missed out on the world, like oh, oh, in being a central force in the yeah, World yeah. Cup squad last year. He was Ma- right in the mix, wasn't muscular. He, yeah. Yeah. he muscles the ball everywhere. Yeah. They got Tom Banton, who's playing, who's very yeah, clean. Yeah. You know, we saw him in the BBL That's last right. year. Yeah. James Vince, twenty odd again in the mm. first game, but looks yeah, good. Fucking you know, and now and he bumps guys out now. Yeah, Reese Topley, five hundred and ninety-seven days between international wickets, and he looks, he looks like GI Joe. Yeah, you know, especially with the hair. Like, I mean, it's. There's a lot to like. It's all good. It's all yeah, sexy. it's all really good stuff. And then Besto, fifty from twenty one. They're like, oh, can he can he break the ODI record for a hundred? Nah, just eighty will do mm. the job. That's Besto. Again, we put in a request. Mm. Again, two blue bombers. <laughs> Couple of blue Couple bombers. Couple of blue bombers in no <laughs> reply. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. You know, so, yeah, you're talking about um, Billings reverse sweep. Yeah, and like Curtis Camphor, um, the yeah. Irish guy. Well, he was born in Joburg. And he played literally South Africa under 19s, 2018. But so he's a young guy and he, he didn't done really well in this series. A couple of 50s, a couple of wickets as well. But well, the only guy to do that, the only guy to like have the first two games in ODI cricket with consecutive really? 50s and poles. Yeah. Oh, so fucking good for him. Yeah. Um, he played like a couple of reverse sweeps and like just the games moved so quickly yeah. as in ODI cricket and T20 cricket and stuff. He played like this reverse lap for four or six off, <laughs> might have been off Topley. And um, like my reaction to that. Three years ago would have been, that is the best I've ever seen now. You would have been like the jaw drop guy on The Voice in Australia with that uh, messed up lips. Now just literal, just exhale from the nose. Yeah. It's just like, just so unimpressed. Yeah. So unimpressed. What does that sound like? (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Shot. Yeah, but I'm not even smiling, just just looking at the TV going, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, next. That's right. Anyway. Yeah, Curtis Camphor, like – as you said, hasn't uh, he actually hasn't played a game of cricket on his inverted commas home soil? I read. Uh, so as in Ireland, he's never played a game in Ireland, uh, and was selected to play for Ireland. Obviously, South African by birth. Yep. And I just think, uh, you know, had that been an English player, we would have decried that decision more importation. Mm-hmm. But because it's Ireland, it's like wonderful enterprise from Irish cricket. Yeah. Uh, resourceful, creative. Um, we applaud it. Congratulations. Well, literally the England ODI captain mm. played for Ireland, didn't he, for a couple of, couple of mm. games. There. And that's wrong. Like Curtis Camphor, correct. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wrong unless it plays for your team. Um, so James Vince bowls now. Yep. Okay. Um, Johnny Bairstow looks fucking massive. He's getting jacked up in, he? in quarantine. You he would looks, know. He looks bigger. He looks thicker to yeah, me. Yeah, so what do you – I mean, this is a topic maybe of some, expertise for maybe you. Maybe some dietary changes because yeah. he's not like – How do you get bigger? We've just got to eat more. I imagine he's training because you know during lockdown, the, all the English players were like there was like a video going around, and they were like Johnny Besser was doing his mowing and his whites and stuff. Obviously, we saw uh, Josh Butler doing yoga in full kit with his wife, all good stuff. But yeah, so Johnny at home looks like he's been lifting, mm-hmm. um, maybe some prison yard weights, yeah, and just just eating more. Okay, he just looked look thicker through the shoulders and the chest to me, right? And that's what I was looking at as he was smashing oh. ball eighty or forty rocks. Once again, if anybody in the England or World Cricket setup has access to Johnny Besser, oh, yeah. It's, big, it's, it's, it's getting a bit passe now, these calls aren't, isn't it? The problem is that, like, you know, when we're asking questions and he's, like, got dropped from the test side and stuff and it's been like, well, he probably doesn't want to speak publicly. But now yeah. he's like, you know. But he's come out recently and said on top of his runs in this series that he, he wants a test recall. So perhaps it's a case of, like, let's not put him up mm. um, while, while there's a little bit of, you know, conjecture over whether he should be playing. What we need is kind of multiple dominant hundreds at test level from Johnny Bairstow. Yeah. And personal connection with him as well as England cricket <laughs> yeah. saying, now let's put him forward. Yeah. So when he's at the peak of his career, that's yeah. when he will, will have access to Johnny Best. I, I think so. There can be nothing. Like people want the best. Yeah, it'd be good yeah. to speak to him. Yeah. And we can ask him about his newfound thickness, if he still has it. That's all I want to know. 
uh, and we can negotiate the best of stories from which we can. So England at the moment, like it's hard to tell because they should, they should always beat Ireland, right? Like they should just win the games and yes. they're playing like a real second string team and stuff, but like they look like they've got a pretty good depth, especially with Billings. Yeah. They're good. Middle order. Yeah, they're good. Is this, is this you getting very excited about Australia's impending trip over to England for an ODI series whereupon they'll quarantine for many weeks and play, it all feels play weird in a bubble? Still. It all feels weird. I mean, the, the West Indies series felt weird before, but this Island series feels even more like, pff, Yeah. You know? Yeah. Should we get into some club cricket stuff? Yeah, man. So last week, or maybe the week before, it was announced that um, there's a step four. Step four plans from the ECB to introduce club cricket safely mm. back into the community. Some people have written in about their experience of that. We'll, I'll speak about that in a second. Um, but some of them have caught the iPads about what players need to do when they turn up to their club games. Because there's rules that you've got to observe to be able to play club cricket. Yes. Like there's, there's a pandemic if you weren't aware, and in order to play community sport in England, there are certain guidelines in order to make sure that it's uh, safe. That's right. So the one that caught the eye the most is you have to turn a T-game in whites. You can't. You <laughs> can't certainly the one you can only turn it. Caught the eye. Literally, <laughs> yeah, eyebrow stuff, that. It's just um, – yeah, well, this literal name of this show is Full Whites, isn't it? Is that what yeah, we're calling this one? I think yeah, so, yeah. So um, you can only turn up, what, 15 minutes before play or something. That's fine. All good. No, no warm ups. Fine. Big in the UK, warm ups were very. There like, you go. They don't, yeah. There's not a lot doing. Yeah, because the grey cricket thing is just like, well, this is why chance to be professional. Grey cricket's like get there an hour 15 before the game. Yep. You're around the field an hour beforehand. Yep. There's all sorts of fines if you're not. There's an official timekeeper. There's a whole economy around pre-game. If you're warming cricket. up in grey cricket, if you warm up, you have to try and find the place that the home team – sorry, if you're the away team, you have to try and find a place that you think the home team would warm up. You get there beforehand. You right. warm up in their spot. And it's then, a whole thing. And then they walk down there, pfft. Yeah. Fuck these blokes. It's a, just it's, you, the you're trying to alpha or colonise their place, try, try and get their territory before they do, and then there's a whole mm. economy a or psychology process. around being first onto the field, meaning that you're the guys who want to play more. That's right. And then about halfway into the game on Saturday, you've got no recollection of who was first out in the field and realise <laughs> that, that all you're doing is inventing things to stay interested in cricket in this game you should have let go of <laughs> decade It's like ago. doing a plyometric stretch, you know, <laughs> calf stretch, you know, 45 minutes before you do anything. Like, you know, yeah. I'm just like getting some throwdowns. Like I'm batting six, for instance. I'm yeah. getting throwdowns at nine in the morning. I bat six, I don't bowl. There's no way I'm involved in the game for three <laughs> hours. Like I'm not involved yeah. in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, why, that's why you got to bring some chat, have some stories to the bite before. But, yeah, if you're batting six years and throwdowns at 9 a.m., you don't actually participate in your execution of the sport till four in the afternoon. <laughs> Those throwdowns ain't doing shit for you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> but under these new step four rules, cricket's possibly the pandemic is it's working a, out for cricketers. Yeah, it's a step four. I don't like the yeah. name of it. Why is it? Because it's not a four step. It's step four. Why step isn't it called four. I don't know. step and stage? Well, I presume there were steps prior to that. Semantics, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. You just had to finish off yeah, with, with a bit of assonance. I, I mean, okay, consider, okay, here goes, would you play club cricket? I mean, it's hard enough to get up for club cricket as it is. Mm. You know, you sort of go out of habit, out of roboticism. It's all you've ever known. You have a deep-seated fear of change. <laughs> but now... <laughs> Now you're told not only do you have to deal with the like the existential angst of playing club cricket, the nerves the night before. Now you must arrive to club cricket in full whites. You have to, and, and oftentimes, in, let's say in London, for example, where you and I have both spent some time. Yeah, very few people have cars that are getting yeah. to like. You, there's a lot of tube work, a lot no of bus it. stuff. Um, very expensive to, place to live. That's right. So would you travel across the tube or use the tube? in full whites and your cricket kit to play cricket? Like, do you love the game that much? How would you play that? Um, a lot of – well, no, I'm not. 
Yeah, that's the that's the straw that breaks the camel's back for your cricket career. Like aesthetics are everything. Yes, and for you, what happens if you, you know, when you're on the tube or yes. any any sort of public transport, and you're just thinking like, I could meet the love of my life here. You want to be the people that you read. About. <laughs> that's, it's not family feud game. That's not the top ten Scoreboard things that says. I'm thinking. Oh, it's sad for you, hey. What I'm saying is that you can, you know, you're getting eyes on the tube, you know, just little stuff. Like you, you're getting the wrong kind of eyes on the tube if you're wearing full whites and you've eyes. got your satchel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not getting eyes. You're not looking yeah. for them. Uh, you're probably happy. Yeah. What's that like? Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not jumping on the tube in yeah. full whites with your – what do they have? Because like no one has kits there. They have the um, – what's the fucking name of the bag that they use, like over the shoulder? I don't know. I haven't played – Backpack? That's going to really annoy me. No, it's not a <laughs> Is that like where you carry your cricket kit on your back now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're yeah, called. Big in the UK. They yeah. all have that. Yeah, I forget what they're called. I kind of like it. I think it's a good look. Yeah, I guess so. But then it annoys me. I've spoken to that before. They all come to the dressing room and they put their bags on the seat in very yeah. small dressing rooms. Yeah. I don't understood that. Strange. Anyway, yeah. Well, I, I think with, with full whites, like the thing that makes it difficult is you think, okay, I've got to wear full whites to the game. My first thought is how do I solve this? Because I'm not walking around in literally my playing gear Fuck that. Uh, in, through London. So how do I accessorise it? But it's pretty difficult to accessorise with full whites. Like yeah. you immediately think oh, I'll, I'll, put a, I'll put a jacket over this. Maybe use a, you know, maybe I have a hat, some sunnies. But you're still left with creams or vanilla whites. You know, like what do you do with those pants that you've got to wear? <laughs> yeah. Like there's no accessorising. Yeah. What wheels do you wear? Yeah. With whites, you can't wear a, a nice black loafer. Well, you, you well you can, and you look like a fucking. You look like you belong in a. You look like you've escaped. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> seen a photo of Rod Stewart walking around town. Well, Rod Stewart can do what he wants. I mean, I think that's. <laughs> you've always said that. Yeah, and I've always said that. But like, literally anything that passes for accessible, uh, uh, acceptable footwear clashes with white, breathable cotton polyamide. Because there is like a look of like real tough or like. Even like um, Hampton style, of okay. like, like an English cricket jumper, like a cricket vest you can get okay, around. Okay, yeah. But, but it's always accessorised with like a nice linen shirt underneath and some chinos. Well, the pants are tightly fitting, a snug <laughs> fitting. <laughs> People are wearing chinos now. Yeah, well, you have to turn your whites into chinos. Yeah, you have I mean. to get them to hug the, the calf. Yeah, very actually, hard to get a thigh pad on though underneath a chino. I would have thought so. I've struggled that for quite a while. But these are the sorts of things Thicken you have to do. quads. You go get your Slazenger whites from Sports Direct. Here we go. And then you go to a tailor, get them made into chinos, but you still got that breathable polyamide cotton. And then you can throw a loafer on underneath with a cricket jumper okay. and now all of a sudden you're looking like you're a great Gatsby. All of, all of a sudden. All of a sudden. Just more make money. Si- make 60-odd. More money spent on cricket. Okay, well, someone wrote in actually in relation to this. Um, it's not really an RCDC, he just wrote in about his experiences. It's from an, an anonymous pommy. Okay. says, gentlemen, today could potentially be my darkest cricketing day, which is basically how every single email that comes into us starts. Christ. Uh, I've just driven into my local cricket club to play my first game of the season. Things have been moving bloody slowly in Scotland. And yes, cricket has played up here. Already wearing my white playing top. Despite the change rooms not being allowed to open, I'd rather get half naked in front of a bunch of middle-aged men, the juniors filling in to make up the numbers and the main road that runs past our ground than turn up wearing whites. Mm-hmm. To your point, Pezza. Whilst COVID does not allow for warm-ups, not gutted one bit, it has ruined my usual routine of strolling over to the oppo to find out how many of them played rain cards the previous night. It's not that I go drinking to be a self-proclaimed chop king, rather to get drunk enough to get a good night's sleep instead of the usual nightmares on repeat about leaving straight balls. So here I am, not allowed out of my vehicle until 15 minutes before the game is due to start. The square hasn't been prepared for this season, so we're playing on artificial turf with cones either side of the strip to allow for social distancing. Yuck. 
He didn't say that, that's just my input. Um, whilst the crux of the sport is still intact, ball, bat, same shit blokes as always, I think, thankfully, I might have fallen out of love with cricket. No changing room banter, no tubs, no tea, no celebrating, no send-offs, no standing on the slips for hours at a time, not even a grass pitch, no circuit. Worst of all, then all, worse than all the above, the juniors who are filling shirts, the juniors who are filling shirts have been allowed to train for over a month now. In contrast, I haven't been picked up, I haven't picked up a bat uh, other than the odd bit of shadow batting since last August. My ultimate fear of being embarrassed by a fresh-faced 15-year-old appears to be coming true. What has life come to? With the opportunity to finally get over cricket, should I be relieved? Is this a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hang up the whites for a good uh, for good at 22 years of age? Please help me out, anonymous. P.S. I should tell the club. Should I tell the club coronavirus coordinator, the club coronavirus coordinator, the Triple C, that all social distancing measures are a waste of time because I've been sleeping with his daughter for the past four months? Christ. <clears throat> so that's up in Scotland. So they're doing a tough up there. Yeah. Uh, well. Uh, thanks for the message and yeah like these are the constant existential issues that we have when playing cricket i can only imagine what it would be like playing village cricket in scotland and then on top of that having to deal with like socially distant regulations that mean your cricket looks even more yuck than it already would i was a little bit thrown by the fact that he's mentioned getting changed in front of juniors juniors again and then fresh-faced 15 year olds a few times uh, I just thought that was just mentioned maybe one or two many times and then there was a sexual illusion at the end. So maybe just steer clear of cricket. Maybe that's harsh from me. That's just where my mind went with it. But so that's yeah. the kind of people you meet at cricket clubs. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, steer clear, I'd say. If, you, if, if, it's, if it's starting to come into your head that you, that you need to get out of there, then yeah. yeah. <laughs> then maybe do. Yeah. So the IPL um, has a start and finish date, Pez. It's going to be in the UAE. It's September 19 to November 10. Mm-hmm. Um, the IPL is an interesting one that we've spoken about because it's just it's just not really in Australia's radar, and now it's in the well. It might be now because it's sort of coming into the Australian season. I think the English play, yeah, England will still be playing in September. I think because it's a later start this year in the UK. So, um, what impact is this going to? Well, I mean, the IPL, the IPL is on because they've postponed the World Cup, so the basis the IPL. No, we play the IPL now. It's where the money is. Don't know. I mean, what? Yeah, UAE, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Sharjah. I mean, are you going to tune in? You know, it's just, it literally isn't the worst time for Australians. Mm. I know the English guys get around it because the times are a lot better. Times are better, yeah. And they generally appreciate cricket outside their own sphere uh, more than Australians. What's that like? Yeah, exactly. Uh, But otherwise, yeah, I mean, I've just got here as a note, just Dada stuff, really. I mean, they (laughs) they found a window, Dada got it in there. He's done the same with the the IPL for women as well. Yeah, that's Um, right. There was a thing going on last night as we go to where that uh, Alisa Healy was just calling out to a uh, Indian journalist, the Indian journalist was saying, oh, this is really good. And uh, what the what the BCC I've done is they've put a women's IPL tournament exactly in the same time that the WBBL exists in Australia. Yeah. WBBL is probably the strongest. It, it is. It is. It's, it's the strongest female tournament, so it's the IPL. It's the men's IPL equivalent, I suppose. There's already there's like three or four Indian players who mm. are – Lots um, of overseas. Lots of overseas, yeah. three or four Indian players who are playing in the IPL already. But now it's like, no, nah, the Indian wants that little yeah. – I'll do that now. They want that space, yeah. So, yeah, it's just obviously like uh, women's cricket growing in Australia, women's cricket growing generally. Yep. Uh, And so what you do is you take the best short-form tournament, domestic tournament, and then you just overlay the Indian one on top of that just at that time. Mm. So whereas someone like Alisa Healy was probably planning to play in two tournaments and all Mm. the best players playing in two tournaments to grow the game so everyone could see, actually you just have a choice of one now Mm. and some of them are already contractually obliged. I mean, this is just... um, Mm. He's just out and out India offering Australia. Mm. Uh, and it's just really funny because your, your natural reflex is like, oh, you can't do that. And then you think, oh, no, uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, 
lot of, a lot of colonial types did that for a long time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You yeah. know, now it's India's turn. Like I love, we're, we're very affronted by Indian strategic dominance. Like, mm. but the reality is, Australia's been owned by foreigners for about eighty years. You know, iron ore, coal, metal, etc. <laughs> but you know, yeah, sure, the great age of manufacturing uh, was in Australia, but we were ultimately owned by foreigners. But it don't come for our cricket. There's <laughs> don't come for our cricket. There's um, there's something in like um, consumer advertising, something about like if you walk past a vending machine. Do you know that? Do you know this? <laughs> Do you know fast a vending machine? No, I'm imagining, yeah. Let's say, let's say the let's say the vending machine's a Coke machine. There's just one machine there. If you walk past it, um, they'll sell like a hundred cans of Coke in a day. If there's a Pepsi machine next to the Coke machine, instead of them selling fifty each, the Pepsi machine will also sell a hundred, and the Coke machine will sell a hundred. So there's like there's double the output. So the 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 algorithm is in the brain that like if you walk past the vending machine which just has the one Coke machine, mm. the choice is do I want Coke or not? Yeah. <clears throat> Love this. And Keep going. if it's if there's a Pepsi machine as well, the choice becomes do I want Coke or Pepsi? Yes. And so what I'm saying is, is that Bear so looks like he's <laughs> <laughs> Bear so is thick. <laughs> he's having he's having Coke and Pepsi. What you're saying is you're gonna be up at three AM watching women's IPL followed by uh, WBBL, yeah, because that's your choice. I'm saying, now. Yeah, I'm saying that they're like they're monopolizing the game instead mm. of like growing the game. Mm. But you know, India do what they want. Exactly, data stuff. Pez, before we get into um, the we we recorded the interview with both Stephen Finn and with Matthew Hayden um, a week or so ago, whenever that was. But the they're funny. Yeah, I, I think you're going to enjoy them. Dos Dos surprised, I have to say. I thought he was going to be. I knew he was going to be a good bloke. Yeah, like just real. We were talking about social distancing and he said, I think he said off air, but he was like, strap broke Owen's my face mask. Yeah. <laughs> he did too. Yeah. With, yeah. with DOS, I mean, I think someone said in the comments when we put the preview up for this, like, is he going to get what's going on? And I must confess, like, that's been part of my, uh, like, view towards DOS sure. for a couple of years. I was like, oh, he's, you know, he's just from that classic era of, like, just that – Gen X edgy Australian mm. cricketer that's just mm-hmm. not going to, just going to look down on any kind of like weak satire from cucks mm. about cricket. Like yeah. we consider ourselves, especially you, as you said off air. <laughs> Did I? Yeah. I don't remember yeah. that. And you do most shows uh, beforehand. But it wasn't like that it's at all. The, the DOS delivered, in my view. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And Finn is extremely articulate, another rising star in commentary as well. Yeah. So it was funny as well. Yeah. Anyway, before we get into that, um, I should have mentioned this last week, but we're now on YouTube and you can see that you can see literally the show right now. Looking at the camera right now. Pezza, you can look over there. There you go. We're on YouTube right now. And these interviews G'day. are also on YouTube. So if you want to find us there, feel free to do the liking and the subscribing, the commenting, all that sort of stuff, because we really support we really appreciate your support and we support your support as well. And we also I was I listened to Rabbit Hole this week, which is a podcast series from New York Times that That's said right. basically the algorithm of YouTube is um basically warping people's brains. They're getting their watch hours up a lot. So just get one or two of our shows in and then you might just find yourself watching YouTube all the time, consuming us, etc. Mm. Maybe we'll sell a few mugs and become the next PewDiePie. <laughs> <laughs> I get that's my dop- that's my doppelganger, PewDiePie. Get that all the time. Nice. You doing anything with that? I've never seen PewDiePie. Should we talk? <laughs> okay, well, you can call me PewDiePie and I'll call you Pezzy next week. Sweet. Ah, fuck myself there. Should we talk about wisdom? Sure. Yeah, wisdom. Okay, so two good little deals yeah. for wisdom. Now, last week you would have said, we, the, our angle on wisdom, ladies and gentlemen. What's a lot the of, angle? The angle is that if you secretly really love cricket, and oh, a yeah. lot of you do out there, if you want to consume a beautiful digital magazine, with Wisdom Cricket Monthly, you can. But today, we're going even further. We're going into the highbrow stuff now. We're going into their quarterly journal called The Night Watchman. We mm-hmm. want to offer you two 
good deals here for the Night Watchmen. So Wisden, obviously the mecca of cricket, the Dada, obviously. if you will, of cricket and from old school. And you will. It's the Dada of cricket, <laughs> Wisden. They offer the Night Watchmen. It's a quarterly journal, each issue beautifully presented, collection of long-form writing, contributions from journos, world-renowned authors, poets, academics, musicians, ex-players, and even on occasion a Night of the Realm. There's two deals that they want to do for you here. There's one issue that they've put out. It's a club cricket special, a digital-only collection of 25 pieces from the Night Watchman reflecting on the celebrating the amateur game. Also, 50% of proceeds for this will go to club cricket charity, which provides financial support to cash-strapped clubs. Okay, here's the deal for that. If you use the coupon code TGC10, you're going to get that issue for £4.50 or $8, Okay. The nightwatchman.net and you use the code TGC10. Here's a second deal. Don't say we don't offer you deal or bring you values. If you want the first uh, five years special edition of the Night Watchman, again, Knights of the Realm write about this. Journos, forget journos, musicians. We're talking about <laughs> highbrow people. We're talking about yeah. people in the upper echelon, the yeah, upper yeah. crust Rod Stewart of cricket. Of writing. Well, Rod Stewart may have done it, done one or not. Do your own research on that. He's <laughs> got uh, stuff. It does. But, you know, there's a lot of Gislaine Maxwell stuff out there about the upper set of, New York, of, of, of New York High Society. Yeah. It's like that, but without the pedophilia and with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> alleged. 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 Yeah. Alleged. alleged. Um, yeah, just think about that. But for cricket, the first five years special, uh, a bumper collection of 28 of the very best Night Watchman pieces from the first 20 issues of the Night Watchman. Uh, again, go to the nightwatchman.net slash TGC10. So that's two separate issues. The club cricket one, you can get 10% off. Or the first five years one, you get 10% off if you use the code TGC10. Incredible writing, highbrow shit. Uh, you know you love it. You don't admit it to anybody, but... Thank you. And in relation to Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, real love is finishing each other's sentences. Look good, play good, feel good. I guess to me, just whispering in their ears saying, get rarer. But realistically, I'm thinking from ball one, I just want to park this fucking thing into the car park. (laughs) Look good, play good, feel good. I'm proud to call it the Joel Wilson Institute. Look good, play good, feel good. Okay, he goes, well, I can't resist uh, some of these numbers to kick things off. I don't, I don't think our guest will, is aware that we'll do, we just start with their numbers, yep. um, but here are some numbers. Okay. 103 tests, over 8,500 runs, 30 tonnes, 2950s, average of 50.7 clean, mm. uh, highest ever test score in Australian history, 380, 161 ODI, 6,000 ODI runs, oh. average nearly 45, highest of 181 not out. 10 tonnes, 36.50s, 24,603 first-class runs, right. 79 tonnes. So just hated runs, yeah. uh, this bloke. But um, it's with <laughs> it's with pleasure and it's our privilege to introduce Matthew Lawrence Hayden onto the show or, as uh, Wiki says, Hados or Unit. Uh, Hados. <laughs> unit. Yeah. How are you? Unit, unit was uh, was my valley's days, you know. Okay. They used to call me Fridge and my brother Freezer. <laughs> when when he when he dropped out of the game, I just became the unit. <laughs> unit. You gotta love those early doors, don't you? Just, 
I just love how uh, how we turn, you know, a situation around to find a nickname out of gosh, it's just so Australian and long may it bloody well continue as yeah. well. Oh, of course. Well speaking of early days, Hadol, so tell us about your relationship to grade cricket. Like did you spend much time there before going on to uh, score all the runs that I just mentioned there? <laughs> yeah, look, um Bally's cricket was my only club. Um I say that very proudly and very candidly as well because, I mean, during the time when you've kind of got offers from everyone, I love the fact that I started and stayed with the one club, the one state, uh, the one franchise within competitions, and you can't exactly move to be a Kiwi because that would mean death by a thousand cuts. Um, <laughs> so the one country as well. Um, but great cricket was a, was, a, was a great learning curve for me. Um, I feel that the balance also was so good because you you had guys like um, Brett Henschel, for example, um, former you know, Queensland um, cricketer, Michael Ephraims, who came from Victoria, you know, moved up to Queensland, um, and then you got the greats, you know, guys like Kepler Wessels, AB. I mean, if you couldn't learn in that environment, you you were either stupid or didn't want to. So it was best brilliant for me to just be in that environment, say nothing, sit in the corner. You know, say, yeah, I'll have a beer, I'll stay a bit longer um, and just listen. And it was superb because a lot of those guys that I just mentioned, you start to move up the ranks and suddenly you've got a a maroon cap on as well and you start playing at at, at another level. Um, But the same principles apply. Um, So great foundation um, place for me uh, at Valley's Cricket Club. It was right next to my school. I I was going to Morris College as a boarder there in my final two years of school for the bush. Didn't want to go, fellas, by the way. Just <laughs> kicking and screaming, I love the bush. I could see myself doing nothing other than sitting on a tractor, planting, harvesting, um, tending to like, you know, the paddocks in whatever way, tending to a couple of sheep or cattle that we ran. But, you know, mum really just said, Matty, this is not going to be enough, you know, here that, the land is growing up, and sadly, that also meant the same for my brother as well. Um, and so, Dad and Mum still, you know, live out the property, but I came coastal way and have never looked back. Just completely love, you know, living where we are here in the southeast corner. Well, you obviously have to do, a, uh, I'd imagine, a fifteen to twenty year, you know, great cricket apprenticeship before you got your shot finally playing for Queensland. <laughs> um, but I, I wonder, um, I mean, is it is it true that before your first innings for Queensland, you asked someone if you if anyone had ever hit a two hundred on debut? Yeah, I was an arrogant prick. Just say it. And, and how many? And how many did you score on debut? <laughs> uh, less than that, so I failed. Yeah, unfortunately. For the listeners out there, he scored one hundred and forty-nine. I tell you, I, tell you, I, tell you I did learn out of that though. I learned that not to be an absolute pillock because that was right. The first innings, and I and I, it was a throwaway line um, around that. But I genuinely felt that I'd been waiting that long in the wings to play for Queensland, mm. that I was so confident that I wasn't going to be happy with a half score, you know, a 30. We're so confident, and I really, I mean, I copped so much black over that comment mm. um, over the years, but you know, the reality of it is I, I just felt like I'd paid my dues, and it wouldn't matter whether it was South Australia that I came up against to make my debut or, or England. Um, I was ready. Uh, and I was ready to play really good cricket. And what I probably wasn't ready for is the level of professionalism. And I can remember in the second innings, I've probably learned my greatest lesson in my 
debut match because it wasn't 149, even though it did give me confidence. The lesson was that never take on board your sponsor being Big Red. It was a, it was a full-strength uh, powers brewery at the time, bitter that we were sponsored by. And we had a, a function at the uh, one of those things, the Stafford Tavern. Um, and I'd had way too much in celebration of my debut innings. And I came home, met my brother, who was my training partner as well, and five-year elder. And I was off my choppers midway through a game. And he said, mate, I don't have double shoulder reconstructions for you to get on the piss midway through a game. And so if you look at the um, – if you look at – you ever do that again, basically, and I'll never ever throw another ball to you again in anger. Um, but if you look at the second innings, I got nothing. You know, maybe, I don't know, less than 20 anyway. And, I, and from that day, I always treated the game with the utmost respect. You know, there was never a time when I just put the, put the foot off the throttle. If I had a competitive advantage, I'd definitely drive it in. I just thought if you're going to get a good score, make it a dirty, big, fat one. Mm. <laughs> um, but don't take the ground, the ground the, and the game and, the, and your colleagues and your mates for granted because, geez, it's a fine line you walk on when it comes to success and failure in, in any sport, let alone professional sport. Hey, Doss, uh, it's, it's funny you say that, like, as you're sort of putting full throttle down on your big yeah. diesel engine on the road. Cause, cause, yeah, cause, big mean Mahindra XUV 500, yep. <laughs> well, it's dirty as a camel, this one, 2.2 turbo diesel. It sucks it up. Man, I never had a Bowser. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's amazing you say that because when I think of you, like I just think about like quintessential Australian masculinity mm. at the turn of the century, you know, like mm. a big smiling Queensland man, enormous chest, you know, pipes, training singlet, benching plenty probably, loving the beach, you know, gentle off the field, playing hard on it, getting on the front dog, you know, as you every, everything in front of square. You know, like you once yeah. said, I'm as much I'm as much of an Iron Man as I was a cricketer. Uh, like this, <laughs> this was the blueprint, like for our sporting success. Now it's all sort of like F45, yoga, skin regimes, veganism. Yeah. Like, did do you think there's a relationship between the softening of the Australian male and the diminishing sporting success? And do we need to go back to the Hayden style of the front dog, chest, pipes, etc., to just recapture that form of glory? You know, it's interesting. I, I had a really good conversation with Adam Goods in one of the episodes of this year. As a cricketer, we always looked at the AFL model as being an epitomising professionalism in sport. You know, it's a time when lines, you know, came to the to the Gabba. Every Thursday night, there was up training late to the evening, sometimes till about 8 o'clock, 8.30. A lot of guys were dropping and running from work. Um, guys like Paul Jackson, for example, who by day was a bookworm and full-time accountant and by night used to visit um, As Malcolm Frankie, a great cricketer in club cricket, used to turn him on ice. But, but not. He didn't turn him at all, Jacko. Um, mm. But, you know, we, we train and then, you know, that was the night of the Gabba Greyhounds and we were sponsored by Forex the majority of the time that I was playing as a junior in, in um, state cricket. And the happiest days in our life was when the Benson and Hedges chicks used to rock up with the, the full weight special filter uh, boxes who were the sponsor of us and, and Forex cabinets were full of, of beautiful bitter. Um, and 
we just used to punt on the on the dogs as they go around. In those days, you had to walk across the dog track to, to get to the gather. So it was like a rite of passage. Mm, yeah. Um, but then you look over to the sort of southeast, you know, where the old cricketers club used to be, and there was the Lions, and you'd see one player being followed around like a dog on heat with someone else that was kind of in and around in and around the setup, um, high performance team taking skin folds and making sure they were hydrated and they had all their meals set out for them. So, you know, someone like Goodsy, I think, was looking the other way going, mate, how good are these professional cricketers? Not only are they getting paid more, but they have to do stuff all as well. <laughs> <laughs> so the joke was on us. And the first time I saw the King, Shane Moore, you know, was was um, a game against Victoria. Um, first year to me pissing down with rain overnight. Merv had obviously made the call early doors to, to have a big one because it just looked like we're going to get rained out. Um, and so and so that's what happened. Uh, we didn't get rained out, though. He opened the curtains in the morning and it was bright blue sunshine as it often is up here in Queensland the night after a massive storm. <laughs> and, of course, it was green as they warned he didn't play. He was 12th man. And... We won the toss and batted stupidly on a green top, as always we used to do that. And I turned to Trevor Barsby as we were walking across the dog track and I was walking behind him that looked not dissimilar, actually, to, to those slipstreams, you know, when, they, when they're trying to put a new vehicle through its paces and they blow smoke over a fan and they get the slipstream, slipstream they get that, that beautiful photo of yeah. you know, how aerodynamic they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm walking behind Trevor Barsby, it's just, you know, nervously puffing away at his cigarette and I'm his slipstream and then we, I say to him, mate, is that, isn't that that Shane Warne? Like, he's supposed to be, like, the next big thing. And he went, yeah, that's Warne. I said, well, mate, he's got it right. He's big. <laughs> but he was, he, was, he was chomping away on – he had a pie and a cigarette in the same hand and he had a Coke in the other hand and he was just trading blows, you know, like – and he was that happy because he wasn't playing because he was so hungover. But and that's that's what cricket was sort of like. That was the culture. You play hard, yeah. and you also play up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know that turned around. You know through the sort of early nineties um, into the mid nineties, where it became a lot more measured and a lot more people kind of like you know taking pulses and, and looking after you. Um, Dietitians, for example, were the first were the first sort of professional staff member outside of physio because you didn't tour with a doctor or mm. or anything. You just had a physio and um, and a manager who was often a board director. Mm. And I'm, I remember the first time he um, this physiotherapist, uh, sorry, this uh, uh, food specialist came in, dietitian came in. And was giving this great lecture on, you know, a bit of this and a bit of that protein, this amount of carbohydrate. And Merv says, oh, miss, I've got a question, yeah. And um, she says, oh, what's that, Merv? says, pizza. I just want to know if pizza's any good. And she said, yeah, you know, if you choose the right pizza, Merv, it really depends on the topping because you've got the carbohydrate and the base. You've got cheese, you know, which, which is those essential fats, and you've got the toppings. As long as you don't go too hard on it, uh, and you don't eat too much of it, um, you should be okay. And she said, but, you know, just tell me, like, you know, how many pizzas, you know, would you often have? And Merv, as quick as, he just says, 
depends how many pizzas they cut it up into. (laughs) 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 You know... What an athlete. And this is our premium fast bowler, legendary Murph Hughes, that has just done it all in the game, was right in the throes of his career. Um, And and this is the sort of, you know, expectation that your young bowlers like a Brett Lee or a Mm. Michael Kastowicz, you know, Glenn McGrath even, you know, they were brought up, bring up through this model. But, you know, they they had to set their own tone and, and, and realize that food was fuel. And, mm. and that's what I speak the good thing about the podcast as well. I've got to ask you, Doss, about the, obviously the 380. Have to ask about it. Zimbabwe, you know, over there at Perth. I mean, I want to know, like, some days you just have a day out, don't you? But I mean, at what point did you think, like, I'm going big today? Like, were you on about 20 or, you know, was it in the warm-ups or was it when you saw the lineup announced for Zimbabwe? Mm. I mean, some of these sixes you're hitting down the ground off Heath Streak, mm. poor old Heath Streak. I mean, just absolutely yeah. front-dogging. I mean, it's yeah. the epitome of alphadom in Australia yeah. cricket. I've never felt safer in my entire life when Matthew Hayden is front-dogging and hitting Heath Street back down the ground for 380 <laughs> test runs. Yeah, well, it's probably fortunate I was actually even playing because it's another example of how you know, times have changed where now the physio and the trainers, they have full say on whether you're going to participate in the game. Um, you know, whereas in our day... Mm. And this is a situation like we'd had eight weeks where we'd had you know time off. It was a very early season game in Perth, and we got over there really early. I've, I've been over at Stratty for a large part of that, just doing my own personal training with one of the fitness trainers at Australian Cricket, Jock, mm-hmm. Jock Campbell. Mm-hmm. And we'd surf and run sandhills, do weights, and you know where I met basically. We were so fit, but we couldn't hit a cricket ball in anger. So when we got over there, I was smashing me and cricket balls in the nets. And they're a bit of razzle-dazzle, those nets over in Perth as well. Um, but I did my back-in and, and did it in properly as well, like a day before the game. And the morning of the game, I was in serious doubt and the physio at the time, Errol Walcott, said to me, mate, you can't play. And I said, oh, I don't think so, Errol. <laughs> I said, uh, mate, my job is to tell you that I can play and your job is to keep me on the park. So, and this is not, these weren't words that, you know, were unknown, meaning that his job, and he knew it, was to just keep me on the park no matter what. And so it was really by necessity that I had to bat the way that I did because I actually couldn't move. So rather than running, I thought, well, the best route surely is aerial. <laughs> um, and so pretty much from the get-go, staying still and hitting through the line of the ball and that probably what is now considered to be just a hitting technique rather than, you know, a way to play. Um, work. Yeah. I mean, I can't really remember in those 11 hours apart from when I got out miss hitting a ball. It's just everything was just coming out of the middle. So, oh, as they say, every, as they say in fly fishing, you know, they don't never change the fly. Um, so it just worked, and and it, I suppose you know that that really continued to work as a hitting technique for me right through as we mm. transition transitioned into. One day cricket and T Twenty cricket as well um, became an important um, weapon um, for me personally through those different genres of the game. Mate, speaking of weapons, uh, your great mate Justin Langer is 
famously quoted as saying recently as Australian coach, uh, you know, everyone talks about this word sledging, but there's a difference between banter and abuse. Abuse is no good, but there's plenty of room for banter. Banter. Um, so many people are keen to know more about the Australian cordon, you know, during your era. Oof. So just with that in mind, I was hoping you could give us an insight into the banter style of each. Like I'll, I'll say a name and maybe you could give a, a, a few words on the style of, of, of each of their banter. So if I sort of said Gilch- yeah. Gilchrist, just a couple of words. Uh, hyena on the uh, hyena on the plains of Africa. He just he chip he chip chip around the line, you know, to, to get whatever he could, and then he back he back away and back down. Oh, that's <laughs> I got a couple more. So w- Warren. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just say he was one of the big fish. Um, so I would just say big fish. Yeah, he's, okay. he's a top line predator. He's, he's a pelagic man. He's, he's top of the food chain. This is so vivid. Good. Uh, early days when you were there, AB? Mm. Uh, I, I would say he's more gladiatorial. Like I'm sort of, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, what's the word when, you, when you're thinking about someone like, you know, the gladiator where he's just, he was so... But such a tiny man. I mean, he was ridiculously small. He was just like a pit bull. There you go. That's probably a better. He's, oh. a, he's a pit bull. Once he got you, he'd never let you go. A couple more. Uh, Tugger? Uh, Tugger was like a wizard sleeve. Um, <laughs> he, he just sort of he'd pull the prediction out of the hat like, You'd go to him in the huddle after sort of being one or two down in, a, in the final innings of a test match, and he'd say, boys, uh, make sure those beers are on ice at seat time because um, we're definitely winning. And we were looking at going, they're one or two down, and, you know, Hansi Cronje's like smashing Warnie on 120, and you're going, where's he get that from? Sure enough, the ball before tea, the wizard's sleeve just opens up and out puffs the sort of other eight wickets that you needed to get to that stage and bingo off you went two more uh, Junior oh Junior Junior was a pretty nice bloke like he'd, he'd say everything that he'd say everything that uh, uh, was just what everyone else was thinking okay so if he was rubbish he'd go mate yeah it's rubbish <laughs> and you think actually no and actually the funny thing about Junior's sleeves is that, and the funny thing is that the person that was receiving Junior's sledge who would inevitably worship Mark Wall, because there hasn't been a finer cricketer that's maybe graced the planet, let alone Australia, mm. would go, oh, yeah, that's probably a fair point, Mark. Actually, I am rubbish. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and finally, Hayden, Doss. The Doss... Uh, I don't know. Like when I was batting, I reckon I was a lot more aggressive. Like when when Shaw Bakhtar, for example, was running in, yeah. um, I, I'd just I'd think of ways to really piss the fast bowler off, which is not hard, right? The moment you start showing anywhere near your sprigs as you're walking towards them, there's pretty much evidence that you're going to get a bouncer. So mm-hmm. I just sort of play that card that. Yeah. You know, someone like Actor, for example, I'd call him B grade Actor for a start, which um, <laughs> which used to get under his skin a bit. I'm sure. Um, but I'd also like to sort of leverage as well, like play the political role. Like when we were playing in Sharjah, and it was 58 degrees oh, out yeah. in the middle, yeah. and Actor, when we walked out 
said, I'm going to kill you today in a whole lot more colourful language. And I said, mate, that's terrific. You know, I'm looking forward to that challenge in a lot more <laughs> colourful language. I said, but here's the thing, Jumbo. I said, you got, you got 18 balls to do it. You've got three overs because you're going to turn into a marshmallow that's been left on the flame too long and it's going to be dripping down it. And I'm going to be the one at the other end of those 18 balls that's going to be mopping it up. <laughs> so, of course... <laughs> just two blokes having yeah. a chat. Hey, this, this is a half an hour story, right? But I'm just going to get to the nutshell. So, so I had Venkat, you know, the, 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 yeah, yeah. the Austin from, from Chennai mm. um, at the other end. So I've now got a point of leverage. So I go, <laughs> right, how can I get Shoah looking like an absolute goose? And how can I tell... Bankat about this. Now, India and Pakistan, there's no lot of love there mm. for a start. So I thought, that's my point. So as Shoab's running into bowl and he's cursing every profanity under the sun uh, at me, I get to his bowling mark as I'm counting down his balls from 1 to 18. So it's like, <laughs> this is ball number 9, for example. Yeah. He gets to his delivery stride and I pull out. I count the ball. He runs at me going, what the problem is? And I said, i got a problem, Bankat. I storm up to Bankat and I said, look, Mate, I give everything on the game. Right? I, I, I deserve everything I get. But within the protocols of etiquette of the game, surely you can't be running in and abusing someone. And so Venkat goes, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and uh, he, he tunes him all the way back to his bowling mark, which is a mile, like yeah. it's right back at the start screen. Yeah, yeah. And I think the only way that Shoab is going to get me out here is bold. Because Venkat's definitely not going to give me LB. And, <laughs> and it's not going to get caught behind, mate, because this thing was an absolute bounce and burner. It wasn't bouncing more than a centimetre. So all I had to do is just stand the ground. And that was it. He got through his 18 overs. He collapsed, seriously collapsed at the end of it. And, of course, I take the opportunity to get my gloves, which I didn't need, and just go up <laughs> to um, go up to show up and said, you want to go off, don't you? And he's, and he says, no, I said, mate, come on. There's no heroes in test cricket. David Boom once said that to me. It's hot, and I know you're busted. Just go off. I won't. I promise you I won't think any worse of it. <laughs> anyway, he's called, he's called our mate on, and he's gone off, and he didn't participate in the rest of the test match. He was heat struck. So that's the sort of... Mine was sort of like more of a not so much words, but just, I don't know, I just used to love that confrontation anyway. I think all of the Australian cricket team did, frankly. Yeah. Uh, just finally, mate, notice you've been getting around the digital space a lot more, you know, some Instagram live, cooking with your, your girls, uh, you know, recent rendition of True Blue, can't get enough of that. Um, mm. you got a you got a podcast out now at the ABC called Dishy, goes beyond cricket, stories that your guests associate with the food they've eaten. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, uh, see, I'm not that bright. Cricketers aren't. Um, so yeah, it's about food, but it's it's talking to great Australians through the through the lens of food, you know. And we've had a couple of beauties, Surya Pitt, for example. You know, I reckon is probably the, the toughest woman in in Australia. She talks about early childhood. Talks about you know what sustained her through a through a through a training, but also through a life. Um, so it's really delving into it, pickpocketing, if you like. Um, a bit like Adam Gilchrist, as I was saying, um, pickpocketing those great stories that come out the back of experiences that they've, these superstars have had, you know, like a Justin Langer or a Kurt Angeli, uh, Lane Beachley, Adam Good, through the lens of food. 
um, through different phases of their life. Boys, it's been so much fun doing. I mean, you blokes know how much I love food mm. um, and how big a part it's had in my life as well um, from a from a fuel point of view, but it's also sustained so many memories. Who doesn't, right? You know, Christmas time, what are you doing? We eat. Well, what are you eating? Okay. What's your earliest memories? What's mum look like? Like JL, for example, he was telling the story about his grandma, about how the, the the sandwich that she made him was the best in the whole world. And it was three ingredients, a truckload of butter, some pickle, and some cheese. And those, those words of, oh, darling, you know, you'll work it off as you run around the block, I'm sure, you know. Even though he was three inches tall and probably couldn't afford to put on any weight, um, <laughs> um, yeah, he, you know, just that, that's the sort of that's what this podcast is all about. So just getting behind individuals that um, and stories uh, as they've gone through different phases of their life, some triumph. Like Kirk, for example, you imagine, you know, he would be an expert on on Suvalakis after playing a function and not not finishing up until two o'clock and having adrenaline. He tells a great story. I think we're in, in Norway where he, he went into this little restaurant about 4 o'clock in the morning, old-style uh, decor, claiming to have a pot that had been brewing this special soup for not three years, not even three days, 300 years. We're talking about some sort of extreme Viking mushroom trip that must have been happening, I reckon. But, yeah, <laughs> such, a, such a great story. You know, who would have ever thought, you know, as much as we know him from MasterChef and obviously in excess, mm. that he's got this great repertoire of different dishes that he, mm. that he savors and shares with, with Lady, who's an absolute legend as well. So, mm. yeah, lots of fun, boys. It's podcast is something that, well, you guys are doing one right now. You get a real insight into, you know, people through expanded, yeah. conversations as opposed to sound bites and feeling under the pressure about, you know, what you're delivering. Yeah, nice one. I'm sure plenty of people love to uh, listen to you more. Hey, Doss, uh, it's called Dishy. It's on ABC. And can I just say, normally we sign off with something quite formal and just say thanks, but I I actually wasn't expecting this conversation. Like, I, I had one view of, like, the way you might have sledged, Hey, Doss, heading into this conversation. And now yeah. I just think I would love to be sledged by you at all times. I've, I don't think we've spoken to anyone more colourful or vivid in the mm. way they've described things before. So thanks so much uh, for the conversation. Or from a guy called Unit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's quite easy to bullshit bullshitters, isn't it? So um, <laughs> on, that, <laughs> on that note, signing, signing off. <laughs> thanks, boys. I look forward to you uh, following the podcast. So, yeah. Th- thanks, Hayden. I appreciate mate. it, Thanks mate. so much, mate. Dad? Yep. Are you proud of me? <laughs> no. Do you like my TikToks? No, and no one else does either. So you're not even fun and funny? No. <laughs> okay, um, here goes. This guy's uh, represented his country 105 times, 227 wickets combined there, seven fifers, best of six for 79 at test level, 551 first-class wickets, 14 fifers, a man of great height and great wheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Sam Robson has forced him to come onto this podcast. Perfect. They call him the Watford Wall, according to Wikipedia. It's Stephen Finn. <laughs> Stephen, welcome to The Great Cricketer. Boys, it's a pleasure to be here. I've heard a lot about you and it's a, it's just an honour to, to finally be in your presence, even though it's across the other side of the world. Mm. 
Where does the Watford War come from? Is that true? First of all, it, it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a slightly. It's not as entertaining as you might like to ah. think. It's from. Mm. Um, I played in innings against New Zealand in Dunedin a long time ago now, but it was to save a test match, and I was night watchman and. I batted pretty much the whole day for 50 runs, which was incredibly boring, but mm. it's got me the nickname, the Watford mm. Wall. So Fair yeah, enough. people who remember that, call me that. Oh, it's pretty good having a nickname based yeah, yeah, on something you did yeah. playing for your country. Yeah. But anyway, comparing uh, yourself to Rahul Dravid, <laughs> yeah, pretty good. I suppose first things first, I mean, we're sort of crossing uh, like topics here, but you're probably upset at Watford's relegation as well. You're a yeah. big Watford man. We just mm. wanted to get that off the chest early. Mm. Yeah, I'm not quite over it yet. It's less than 24 hours. So you could have left it a few days to, <laughs> Pardon me. to yeah. bring that up. But yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a few dark days watching Watford against Wickham Wanderers away next year on a on a Wednesday night or something. Yeah, it's going to be a bit sad. But hey ho, we um we didn't really deserve to stay up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now Sam, who was on the show earlier, uh, alleged that you've been asked to play club cricket in Australia but declined on the basis that you didn't want to play in 40 degrees out west and risk getting towed up by some 20-year-old no-name, which to my mind is evidence of a very sound and rational mind. Um, was Sam correct? And if so, is that still your view of Australian grade cricket? Well, uh, from all that I've heard, Australian grade cricket is tougher than test cricket. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't want to subject myself to the embarrassment of coming over there and and being towed down by an accountant on a Saturday um, whilst <laughs> pretending to be an ex-international cricketer. So, yeah, it's, um, I, I don't really want to subject myself to that um, and all the stories that I've heard. It's not um, not all that pleasant place for a pond to come and play, especially a 31-year-old. So, um, so, yeah. I'd imagine you wouldn't have played that much club cricket either, Stephen, because, I mean, you, you debuted for Middlesex at 16. Four years later, you had over 50 wickets in a county championship season. Um Two questions. Have you played any club cricket and how easy is bowling fast when you're six foot seven? Um, well, the, the club cricket, yeah, I've, I wouldn't have played a club cricket game since I think 2007, I think 2007 well or eight. That's amazing. Um, well done. So, yeah, it's, it's been a while. Um, still have bad dreams about being slogged all over the place at that age by, um, by some middle-aged fat bloke. Um, <laughs> I think in the English leagues, but yeah, it's, um, it's something that when I, when I grew up, I was lucky enough to play, um, play above myself. Um, in terms of like when I was 15, I was playing in my men's first team. So I have experienced it, um, and, and love playing club cricket or did love playing club cricket, but yeah, not for a while. Yeah. It's a long one here on the same topic, Stephen. Like in 2011, uh, at the age of 22, and si- 22 years and 63 days, you were the youngest England bowler to reach 50 test wickets, breaking Botham's record along the way. There's another youngster who's hit England's shores recently with Pakistan, Nazim Shah. He's a teenager who bowls wheels. Aside from the fact that every Aussie last year disputed that he was 16, regardless, he's pretty quick. Now, I, I was just hoping you could take us into the mind of being a young tearaway, like coming from such a great height, regularly hitting 90 miles an hour. Like, mm. I guess what I want to know is like, when did you first experience the bloodlust as a kid, you know, <laughs> like where you knew you could scare other children yeah. by bowling fast and how bloodthirsty did it make you? Well, over here in England, you play junior cricket on um, synthetic tracks oh, yeah. oh, that often yeah. have oh, yeah. often have crazy, crazy pavement concrete underneath. So, um, so you didn't even have to bowl that quick when you were a kid. And because mm. I was um, because I was coming from quite a height, 
you could get them to, to hit people all over the place in the ribs, arms, fingers. So, yeah. yeah, it was when I was a kid probably playing on those synthetic wickets that you get a taste for, for hitting people in the ribs and, and around their um, around their fingers, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, Pat Cummins told us once that, like, when he was coming through the age groups, parents of oh, opposition right. sides would privately come and speak mm. to him and ask them to bowl slower yeah. to their children. Yeah. Like, did you have any <laughs> stories like that coming through, like yeah. where parents were just worried about you from the yeah. opposition? Uh, not, not quite. I think a lot of people questioned whether I was <laughs> – of a correct age, yeah. I was um, yeah, I was a lot taller, even though I was literally like a pipe cleaner, yeah. stick thin when I was a kid. Um, I, I was still a lot taller than everyone else. So I think quite a few parents would uh, would come up to my parents and say, "Come on, like you're taking the piss here. The kid's 15. He's playing in an under 12 game." Oh, yeah. Um, so that, that's that's about the only thing. But I was never as quick as Patty, unfortunately, when I was younger. So I, I never had the problem of bowling bowling too quick. So, so like, like on behalf of all those children that would have <laughs> seen you. you. No, it is. I mean, because all people who are listening to this cast, they know what it's like to turn up to a ground yeah. and you don't worry yeah. about your own warm-ups. You look to the other yeah. side and see who Jesus looks big. Christ, oh, there's yeah. a kid with a beard yeah. and he's fucking a foot taller than everybody else. You, yeah. He like, drove did you, here. Did you feel all eyes on yeah. you in warm-ups <laughs> and stuff when you're warming up? Like, did, were you like, God, I just, oh. why are there 30 sets of eyes on me? <laughs> <laughs> Slightly, but I, the uh, on that topic, we played as an England under nineteen. I played against Pakistan um, under nineteens. I think I'd have been seventeen, so I was playing two years above myself anyway. But there were like I didn't have a hair on my body anywhere, um, and and I was playing against these guys in the Pakistan team who literally had full like chest rugs hanging out the top of their tops and <laughs> glorious. Uh, and we're all sat there thinking, Christ, this bloke's bowling ninety miles an hour with a chest rug hanging out of his um, hanging out of his top. How's this fit? <laughs> so you know what it feels like. Yeah, you know what it feels like. Yeah, <laughs> they play for England yeah. my teams. Yeah, I just like a relatively serious question. I was sort of thinking about um, obviously very skilled and, and naturally gifted bowler, um, but over the course of your career, you sort of had some technical issues as well. You had obviously had like the, the Finns law of like brushing the stumps with your knee and that you went through a period where you kept falling over at the crease and you change your run up and stuff. Yeah. And I sort of remember th- this, you know, from an Australian perspective of like Mitchell Johnson went through a stage where he got really robotic and he was sort of almost overcoached. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you have a thing like where you, you had so many coaches in your ear or whatever, you just want to be let go and just fucking just go from the top of your mark and just let it go and just bowl as opposed to being like overly, you know, produced, so to speak? Yeah, I think that's sort of part and parcel of growing up in the public eye in the sense that I played cricket professionally when I was quite young. So therefore, people are watching you and have an opinion on you. And sometimes you can let those things affect you, I think. So, um, yeah, you, I try to stay away from reading any of the press or what people are saying at the moment. But definitely when I was younger, I was more influenced by that sort of thing, which is quite a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and then you're you're always keen to take on um, the like the opinions of coaches and listen to what people have to say. And sometimes I probably took a bit too much of that information in, but that's my own fault for, for listening to, to people too much and not sticking to my guns. So yeah, I, mm. I actually had a really good chat with Mitchell Johnson in the dressing room at the end of the 13, 14 Ashes series where he had actually absolutely ripped us a new one yeah. um, in that series and bowled as fast as I've ever seen anyone bowl live like mm. I've seen some quick bowlers bowl live but that was just frightening quick and I was glad I didn't have to face it at all during that series <laughs> um, but but we sat down and, and sort of 
I identified with where he'd been and, and where he'd got to, and it was quite inspirational. So, mm. um, yeah, it was uh, it was nice to sit down and chat with him after that. Mm. It's funny looking back. Uh, it, it's been a year since The Edge came out, a documentary. Uh, the documentary explored like the darker side, I suppose, of England's success uh, around that era mm. that you were very much a part of. Like, what, what are your memories when you think about that period of English cricket and and playing for England? And like, do you think that kind of tough Andy Flower led approach would still work among younger players today? Um, I would say that there's probably been a change in approach towards young players from when I was a kid. I think. I remember sitting in dressing rooms when I was 15, 16 years old in the second team and, and being called every name under the sun, like you used this bag of sticks, like <laughs> things like that, 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 you know, that you probably wouldn't hear being shouted or said to a kid um, mm. anymore on a number of occasions when I was that age. I got told I was burgling a living and I was only 16. So <laughs> I... Um, I've been told that Jesus since as well, Christ. by the way, but that's by the by. Um, but yeah, I think I think that style of um, in your not in your face, not that, not that Andy was particularly in your face, but he was very disciplined in the way he did things. And I think that now kids are more encouraged to express themselves um, and try and work in whatever parameters they seem fit, rather than work within the particular parameters that would have been put on us then. So um, yeah, there's certainly a bit of me that wishes, or not wishes, but you know, I was very fortunate to play in that team that was a great team for those years. Um, but now if I was 10 years younger um, and I was a bit of a tear away, would go for runs, but would take wickets. And, and that sort of got stifled along the way a little bit by trying to fit into this conformity of going up two and over, um, which didn't really suit the style that I bowled. But but um, now that's probably a bit more acceptable. So um, yeah, there's part of me that wishes I was 10 years younger, but I'm sure there's a lot of blokes out there who wish they were 10 years younger in every sense. <laughs> well, speaking, speaking of 10 years ago, you're obviously part of the famous 2010 Ashes side that won in Australia for the first time in ages. I mean, I mean, how big was the party in Melbourne and Sydney for that matter? Well, it was the whole tour was a party, to be honest. That's one of the <laughs> overriding, um, one of the overriding memories that I have of that tour is how much fun I had. It was my first proper England tour. I'd been called up late to a tour of Bangladesh, which mm. you can't really call that a cricket tour, I don't think. Um, what, what you, you know, just sitting in your hotel room for yeah. um, every day of the tour. But yeah. um, I think that when we got to Australia, it was just, we had this sense of wanting to have fun and enjoy our time over there, wanting to warm ourselves to the Australian public, because that's one of the things that is a massive challenge for you as an England team going over there if you come over and, and you get pumped from the first minute that you step off the plane and you let that get on top of you, it can become quite an oppressive place to tour. I remember mm. sitting outside restaurants in you know, in Brisbane in particular before the first test and you know, just have blokes in, um, in hats with corks hanging off it just calling me a fucking useless. Mate, you're fucking <laughs> shit. You're fucking useless. That sounds about right. And that was yeah. just, um, I was just yeah. going for a coffee with a couple of the boys, yeah. yeah, and you had blokes hanging over the edge of bars calling you shit. So <laughs> it was, um, you know, we, we knew that we had to win those people over and I think that part of that was um, going and getting amongst it. So, you know, going out and having a few drinks every now and again when we landed in Perth, we had a big night um, and, and just, that plus hard cricket, I think, is one of the things that helped us win that sort of big mm-hmm. time. Uh, w- when I Googled you, Stephen, um, 
as, as I do for all guests. Uh, you're, you're, you're often mentioned in dispatches alongside guys like uh, Tremlett and Bresnan, bowlers like, uh, you know, all three of you would have ordinarily enjo- enjoyed like larger international careers and longer international careers. Um, we're not, you know, for two worldies who've decided to play forever yeah. uh, in Broad and Anderson. <laughs> so like you're obviously still on the scene. Um, there's guys hovering around like Archer Works, Curran, Overton, Roland Jones. Like, what do you all need to do to get rid of these blokes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who anyone who's got any ideas can send me a message but yeah they've been they've been unbelievable haven't they you just think of the longevity and, and the injuries that I've had over the last few years I've had two knee surgeries I'm actually going for a scan this afternoon on a growth that I've got in my elbow that's going on so bowling fast or bowling seen uh, takes its toll on you when you're playing 12 months a year and, and it's finally catching up with me so I'm just flabbergasted, really, how it's not caught up with them at some stage. But it's amazing to just, they took, what, 1,100 test wickets between them, which is just ridiculous. Mm. With the, um, obviously, we saw the, the, the first test of the uh, England West Indies series. They left Stuart Broad out and they, they were going for, what was it, Anderson, uh, Wood, and Archer with Don Bess as well. Yeah. And had a bit of an eye on the Australian series uh, in 2021 coming up. I mean, that might be a tactic. I'm sure you'd like to be part of that series as well. But I mean, is that is that the way that England should go to try and win in Australia? Sort of bowl more back of a length, get the ball through sort of waist to chip, uh, waist to chest sort of regions as opposed to a little bit fuller. Um, sort of yeah, sort of well, like blasting Australia out basically. Well, I I think you have to have an element of that in your attack. I don't think you can go with go with solely that. I think one mm. of the things that we spoke about when we won in 2010-11 was actually that you don't have to bowl as short as you think in Australia because of the because of the bounce. So. Mm. Um, we wanted to attack the top of the stumps in that series. Um, and we did that very well. I think the temptation is to get caught up with bowling too short mm. in Australia. And, and naturally, the guys down there, um, you guys, even in grade cricket, I'm sure, are, are good cutters and pullers of the ball. So are, really yeah. punish anything that's, that's um, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I just sweat on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did it about short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I bet you'd tell me about it as well. You're probably fucking <laughs> proud of us, yeah, mate. Fucking useless, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think I think you have to have an element of intimidation in your attack when you go down there, and that's why Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood are so good together because they're intimidating. Um, but they possess different skills than that as well, which is something that, um, that the England bowlers could take heed of once they go down there or when they go down there next year. Mm. Mm. Um, you obviously play with some some big personalities in your time, like Matt Pryor, Kevin Peters and stuff. Also, some more of the, the rarer units, you know, Monty, Johnny Bairstow. I mean, how hard would it be to be living in the biosecurity bubble right now, just, just living in each other's pockets day after day, playing cricket, then going back to the room? Like, I mean, how tough would that be? It, it wouldn't be easy. I think um, yeah, the, the mixture of characters that you find in a cricket team, I'm yeah. sure in – a great cricket team, you've probably got the same the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the mixture of personalities, which is why cricket is so great. But but yeah, we're used to spending time together on tour and uh, and being away together a lot. But I think that this would be another level on top of that. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I think just being in that one space the whole time, there's probably been a lot of PlayStation playing. I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stephen Finn, thanks so much for your time. You've given us more than uh, we asked for, which is normally what happens um, by force. Uh, <laughs> yep. And yeah, absolutely no way I'd be sitting on the back foot if you were bowling. <laughs> you know, I've never played a pull show in my life. Um, Are you thank- front, front dog? Yeah, uh, front nothing. Dog. No, 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 just sitting there. Um, you know, that's brave. Fair enough. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. No worries, boys. Pleasure.
New Jordan, six for nine. sincere one from me to start I think <clears throat> in relation to IG and I've called you by your correct nickname this time although Pezzy did seem to take off a lot of comments a lot of DMs I think if you're able to emasculate somebody then uh, you go for it mm. you know if you get a laugh out of it and you emasculate somebody I mean we live in a zero sum game world it's, it's, it's all about hierarchy I wasn't trying to like, even I, better I could have called you daddy kisser like that guy from Mastered yesterday last week ankles <laughs> decaf yeah. there's some other good ones yeah. Drinks decaf coffee. That's beta. <laughs> I was going to say though, um, Budgie Smuggler, we should be honest, in that Budgie Smuggler, it's a very uncertain time. And Budgie Smuggler has been extremely kind to us um, for a number of years now. Yeah. I think about over, over a year now. Mm. Um, and they've been massive supporters of ours. And if it wasn't, wasn't for them, then, you know, we'd be underground mm. or something like that. Well, also, great supporters that have, you know, allowed us to stave off many gambling companies saying, hey, you talk to people we want to talk to. We're yeah. like, nah, yeah. plenty of you guys around. Yeah. And that's Budgie. Budgie, Budgie helps with that. I was also thinking, because they supported us on the UK tour last year, which yep. actually started a year ago today as we recorded wow. that. Yeah. Wow. So it seems like a lot's happened in the year. Mm. Anyway, it's a thing that happened and that was all thanks to Budgie. Yeah. And Budgie is still kicking on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're obviously recording right now in a um, state that is literally in a state of disaster, officially, yes. legally speaking. Police yes. have powers. It's a disaster. Return. It's a disaster state. Uh, and Budgie... Again, are coming to the fore. They are creating masks. That's what I was trying okay. to say. They're nice people. Yeah, nice, nice people. people. They create a mask. You can design your own mask, all sorts of things. You can put it, put on whatever you want. I mean, I was talking about rabbit hole earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you are a QAnon believer, just mm-hmm. chuck a Q on there as well. Okay, sure. <laughs> you, you help with misinformation. Yep. Um, or am I part of the global cabal now? Mm. Just trying to get you off. Uh, trying to get you off, pardon? PewDiePie. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> Just trying to give ideas for things you can put on a mask. What about the Curtis idea Camper. that you know, yes, when you, you know when you go to school and you're yes. like, like especially now when you when you go to school, it's a bit like Pez. I think enough's enough, mate. No, like you know when you're at school and you're just like, well, none of this is relevant, and you're just thinking about like, like I don't need to learn about like sciences or physics or yeah. you know. Where does I remember this those thoughts. Yeah. But then you also just like, five mm, G gives me cancer. Yeah. So. You know, maybe there's a bit of a balance out of strikes. So maybe some 5G stuff on your budgies, yeah. right? on your mask. Yeah. Just well, a question yeah. mark. Well, you subscribe to that. That's your – we were talking about that off air as well. What's your favourite conspiracy theory? Uh, oh, look, it's pretty it's pretty cliche, but I got I got into JFK stuff for a same, while. Same, damn it. We got yeah. the same thing. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the one that I know most about, I reckon. And obviously yeah. I know fuck all, but like it's just – it's it's an interesting one. Back yeah. and to the left. Exactly. Really? Uh, Magic thought theory. Is that from the book depository? Wouldn't mm. have thought so. Yeah, I think wow, so. just one guy. Doesn't like, make any just sense. one dude. Yeah, hell of a shot. Hell of a shot. I call him the shot. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was dead pretty soon after. Jack Ruby, bang. Yeah. Oh, okay, oh, you gone. I can't say anything about it now. Yeah. But no, Epstein's probably the newest one, to be honest. The Epstein stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's is that even a conspiracy? I guess it is. Yeah, I guess it yeah, is. Because it it's, 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 yeah. oh, it's, it's, you, oh, you, you go against the official story, don't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, is he? Is yeah. It? Oh, he died, he killed himself. Oh, did he? Okay. As I said last week, just Lane Maxwell, trials until, not until next year. So there's mm. plenty of time if you need those in your budgies. Plenty of time. Budgiesmugglerukcom 
Hashtag ICDC, Pez. Um, as I said before, uh, you can find us on the YouTube machine. And uh, basically, we're across every single social media now, except for TikTok, because um, we're not owned by the Chinese just yet. Although, if a Chinese, you know, backed company or you know, a government-funded organization want to get in contact with us, please happy to happy to you know sell some data. That's that's data, not not Sarah Ganguly. Don't want to sell anything related to data. Although it's probably a good crossover there, but anyway, something for Telstra to look into mm. as they're giving people cancer with five G. Yep. Tom Redman writes in Pez. Pezzy says, Dear TJC, I'm writing to inform you of the serious detriment you have done to my mental health, demeanor around my friends and general outlook on life. For a long time, I've been a listener to the highly successful UK-based cricket podcast, Taylenders. I'm sure you're familiar, but to those who are not, it is a positive, uplifting show starring England legend James Anderson, which deals with getting new people into cricket and celebrating its wonders across all levels. I used to love this podcast and even uh, went back after many years and had a bit of a net with my friends recently. I sent one down. I sent down some very ordinary doublers and even considered joining a team. <clears throat> that is until I came across your podcast, which reconnected me with the harrowing demons which tore, tore me away from the game in the first place. Your bitterness, cutting Aussie cynicism, all out of focus, uh, all that focus on being good or fucking off, has honestly destroyed the child within me, and I'll never pick up a cricket ball ever again. Not only that, I can't even listen to Tailenders anymore. I see that podcast now has the most cringy, pathetically cheesy thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I never want to hear it or any other non-skilled English cricket fan ever again. I shouted nice Gary at a guy who fell off his bike on the other side of the road (laughs) the other day. (laughs) I hate myself. Hope you're happy, Tom. P.S. Pezzy said a few weeks ago in relation to the triple C that each prior act relates to and informs the following act. So does that mean that the kind of century you score influences the nature of the chop? If Dom Sidley burgled one the other night after his hundred, would the sex be an agonising, ugly grind with no runs on the offside equating to a lack of foreplay? While Steve Smith would be lying in bed next to a woman saying, I didn't mean to do all that weird stuff, it just kind of happens. Does anyone actually believe that? Anyway, just a thought. (laughs) Just a thought. Ah, well, thanks for the message, Tom Redmond. Uh, Well... Look, first things first, podcast beefs, not really our go. Let's beef. Let's have it right. Tail Enders, have you listened to it before he goes? Mm, no, I've seen a live show or something on YouTube maybe. Yeah. I, I, know, I know about it. I don't have listened to it. Highly successful podcast yeah, done by the BBC. And yeah. also let's just make a few comparisons here. Tail Enders, hosted by Greg James, BBC, <laughs> has uh, – What do you say? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> what I'm saying is that he's got about three million followers, and uh, he's a very successful uh, presenter. Yeah. Um, Finish your point. Felix, Felix White is involved. He's a guitarist in indie UK indie group, the Maccabees. Yeah. Uh, considered one of their songs to be played at like uh, my wedding over, over CD, obviously. Okay. I got married that long ago. Um, and James <laughs> Anderson is part of it. He's taken the most wickets of any seamer ever in Test cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's just a there's, there's no real comparison with um, a show with you know Pezzy and Thick Boy Higos, you know? <laughs> Thick Boy. <laughs> um, <sighs> yeah, it, it's it's positive and uplifting. Uh, if you like it, great, go for it. And I'm sorry for whatever we've done to you to uh, make you cynical and hate yourself. But um, but yeah, no 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 dirt on tail enders here. I have to say, sorry. 
Well, I had a different answer. Yeah, go for Fuck it. Fuck yeah. those blokes. No. <laughs> yeah. I, the answer that I had for this question from Tom was mm. that it relates to identity in that like in England, the place of cricket, we've spoken about this off air, I think, maybe, maybe on air as well. The place of cricket is a little bit less sure than it is in Australia. And so, for instance, like you can sledge cricket in Australia because like it's the national game. It's the only sport in the summer. It only really competes with, I guess, the A-League and then the American sports and the Premier League, I guess. Is it kind of like your, your brother or your sister? Like I can absolutely give it to you because deep down we're connected by blood and That's I right. love you. That's right. You know what I mean? There's, no, right. there's no doubting our relationship That's here. That's right. So cricket's a bit more precarious. That's right. Like a friend that you want to hold so on to. So I think like the reason that Australia have pursued cricket so strongly is because like secretly we're actually really angry at like being sent here from England. And so we're like, that's, oh, so cricket's your game, England? Okay, we're going to be the fucking best at it. And we'll, yeah. th- this is now our thing. Like the same way like the West Indies in the 80s. It's like getting back at someone yeah, for a bad, bad breakup. Exactly. I'm going to get hot like Gwyneth Paltrow and sliding doors and <laughs> show you. It's just been 120 years of like uh, yeah. just trying to alpha someone who broke up with us. Yeah. And then the same thing with like the 80s West Indies team. You know the whole like that Fire in Babylon yeah. um, documentary? Yeah. And then Tony Gregg was like, we're going to make them grovel. Yeah. There was like some slavery stuff and like yeah. the white and black thing going on there. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to yeah. fuck you. So it's like identity stuff. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on with India. They might have the same thing going on. I'm not really sure what their, their relationship Most likely. Yeah, most likely. But I'm saying it's identity. And so like whilst we can give you some real stuff that's going on here, it's probably a more secure place. Because like England are always trying to lift up the game. It's yes. got to be like given to more people, like the World Cup, the Ashes. That, that was going to be that, that big year. It's a great answer. Got to get the, got to get the final on, on TV and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but um, we all know that it's fucked. And we all, but, but also we know, and this is like fourth wall stuff, like England, England cricket lovers are generally better at just superficially at surface level enjoying the game. They just know how to enjoy the game. I mean, yeah. like, look, look, we were talking about club cricket before. Guys will turn up in full whites. It's We'll get videos from people where it's literally pissing down with rain, sweeping rain. Four guys will be huddled in full whites in a car yeah. during tea, but they've still got corded sandwiches, like yeah. uh, retaining the dignity of <laughs> afternoon tea, the quaintness yeah. of afternoon tea. Right. Uh, so congratulations to, you know, tailenders have, like, these massive live shows where, like, they play music and, like, yeah. Felix is on the guitar yeah. and they're, like, really uplifting yeah. uh, like polyphonic spree experiences. Yeah. Yeah. You know, ours is, like, telling the audience to fuck off for a shit Ask TGC question. <laughs> you know, there's yin and yang. There's a place for both. Yeah. It's not one or the other. Yeah. Who's to say which one's better? But ours are certainly more successful. <laughs> it's, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I think we're running out of time here, mate. This, this, show's, this show's gone on. Ah, shit. Let's just do one more. Okay, okay, one more, one more. All right, uh, one from Fergus. Hey, boys, uh, to say the last 12 months has been shit would be an understatement. Around this time last year, I was in contract negotiations with my then work. All things were going swimmingly until my boss started avoiding me. I, however, was extensively familiar with this play, whereby avoiding the first grade captain on a Thursday night had become a bi-weekly ritual and knew this was bad news. Alas, I lost my job. Stuff them, I thought. I don't want to work there anyway. This is going to be great for me. I'm finally free from this hellhole. So after a period of not having to... Uh, to, of enjoying not having to go to work and having lunch beers on a Tuesday, the job search began. Come January, and I'd picked up a far better job and was pretty happy with how things were progressing in my new role. Clear skies ahead, I thought to myself. However, it was around this time I started to notice things on the home front were going about as well as a Shane Watson DRS referral. Not, yeah, no, okay. Not to worry, I thought, a small blip on the radar. I had been with my partner for six years and assumed we would just get through the issues. Then coronavirus and the ensuing lockdown hit Australia, and for the second time in a matter of months, I found myself unemployed again. 
This was obviously not good news for my relationship either, and after a couple of months of my days consisting of going from the couch to the fridge, things had gone from bad to worse, and my long-term girlfriend and I decided enough was enough and cut our ties. Oh well, I thought, bad things come in threes. That's it for me. Back on the horse and back on track. (laughs) Then I received a call. Coronavirus had claimed the life of a close relative. Shattered by the news, I was devastated by the realisation that I could not attend the funeral as the relative resided overseas. A Zoom call would have to suffice for the goodbyes. Unfortunately for me, having no job, no income and no partner to shoulder the load was not going to get the mortgage paid. So at the age of 40-odd, brackets 31, I found myself having... Fucking hell, it's always that... <laughs> I found it's actually reverse anyway. yeah. I found myself having to move back in with my parents. Fumbling through a few things in the back shed, I came across my old cricket gear. The ensuing shadow batting in the backyard would have rivaled Manus's hallway antics. Form his temporary class is permanent, I thought to myself. <laughs> Fuck me. It's like six lines on from his friend dying from coronavirus and he's saying form his temporary class is permanent. Oh god. <laughs> 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 I thought to myself, letting my imagination run wild, I was recalling the halcyon days of my grade cricketing career. Conveniently disregarding the fact I was dropped for six first grade grand finals, I found myself considering a comeback. So, boys, my question to you is, will a grade cricket comeback get my life back on track after being alphaed by the universe for the last 12 months? Or will my inability to make runs only serve to disappoint my father as much as the dinner I cooked him tonight did? Thanks in advance. Uh, you do it. Um, you got anything, Fergus? Oh, just the. It's just a, just a wild ride, you know. Like you feel sorry. Like you, you've got a close friend that's passed away, and condolences, yeah. obviously, and of course. But of yeah, the honesty of like yeah yeah, no, and, the, and the next the next scene of this story, I'm in the hallway saying for me, temporary class is permanent. Maybe I'll play great cricket again. It's just a bit going on. Yeah, there was a bit going on there. That's yeah. that's that's one for the Claxon there. Um, yeah, you, you're right, Pezza. Um, Fergus, thank you very much for Thanks your for the question, yeah. very earnest uh, emails. I'm looking down the down barrel. Down the barrel, account. yeah. Okay. Um, Get on YouTube. Uh, Fergus seems like a YouTube guy. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, yeah, very honest email. And um, yeah, 2020 shit for heaps of reasons. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a horrible list of um, things to have occurred in – like in sequence there. And so very sorry about your job, losing your friend. Yes. Relationship. Um, Is grade cricket the answer? Well, that's what I was thinking like, you know, like 2020, what, 2020 sucks for everyone. And I was thinking the other day, you know, here in Melbourne, stage four, it's like, what does this mean for me? Of course. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I suppose, well, in a relationship sense, right? So Fergus has just gone through a breakup. You know what, like if it's, um, you know, if it's meant to be, someone will always fight for that relationship, right, Pez? So like, you know, if, if it's meant to be, someone will figure it out, right? But if right. not, great time to work on yourself and reconnect with your friends. Reconnect with your friends, that's a really good one. I'm mm. not sure the cricket club is the right place to find those friends necessarily, so mm. that wouldn't be the thing that I'd be doing, but like... Not grade cricket. Not grade cricket. No one's your friend in grade cricket. Everyone's just trying to push you down. Yeah, exactly. Even the ones who seem like your friends, they're like, well, so I hope I score more runs than you. I hope you fail. When you get out, they are punching the air with joy, I promise you. Mm. But 2020 is so inverted, maybe grade cricket is the answer. I don't know, mm. man. I've just never played at a grade cricket club and heard somebody say, you know what, my life was off track. A lot of things were going wrong for me. I lost my job. I lost my relationship. I lost close friends. Mm. This club saved me. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, 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 it is literally the reverse. It's like somebody's like, <laughs> I, I, I lost my job, I lost my relationship, yeah. I lost my friends because of this. <laughs> The thing is, like, you feel like, like, like you should be able to say this club did save <laughs> me, but no one's ever said it. No one's ever said it. But then, can you imagine that? Like, at, uh, can you imagine that at, at a great cricket club? Like, <laughs> oh, you're going back to the club, boys? Yeah, yeah, we'll go back to the club. Everyone's having beers, saying what they got, and all that sort of stuff. And someone just fucking clinks the beer glass, the beer bottle, and says, well, I just want to say something, boys. People just be like, fuck's this bloke? Side mouth. The only thing someone will be saying is, like, just want to say something, boys. <laughs> Pay your subs this year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Club's in trouble. Yeah. There's like three or four things you're allowed to say after the match, like at back at the club. <laughs> yeah. And one of them is not, yeah. this club saved my life. Just <laughs> just want to say something, boys. They were the shittest blokes in the comp. Yeah, exactly. That's another one, yeah. Yeah. See you next week.